There we go. Uh, hey, right here, Charlie, Chris, you guys, before y'all go down. Uh, man, you see them You see them up here leading worship every week. Sean over here. Uh, you know, just they're, they're here so much and have done it for so many years. It's just kind of a thing. Yeah, of course they're here. But, man, that's every week. They're coming up here practicing for all these things every week. And uh, they, they don't make a dime for this. In fact, it costs quite a bit of money uh, for them. They invest so much into this place. Thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you so much. Yeah. Chris, Chris was our, our first, you know, when my wife and I came in uh, February of 2016. My, my, first, my first phone call and my first meeting uh, was, was with Chris McCormick, and he has walked every step of the way. And so you guys come to me all the time, and you're like, oh, you put something online that really ministered to us, or you made this, you did that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Chris did all those things, okay? If it, if it ever looked cool, I promise you, I did not do it. Uh, that was Chris. So, man, it's, it's awesome, and I love you. I, I mean, right here in Ranger, I have just found exactly what God told me was waiting here. Uh, incredible people. And uh, you guys are incredible. I'm honored to be with you, and uh, you intimidate me. Uh, you just, you, you serve, and you serve, and you serve, and, and just call and ask me, what can I do? And uh, you, you, get, you get nothing for it, and you just keep serving and keep asking, and you're nuts in a great way. Uh, I love it, and so, man, I just, I, I feel sometimes uh, unworthy to just come and speak to you, but we just stick to the Word, and so it's not me, it's the Lord, and so that's what we'll stand on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for what you have in store for us today. Forgive me of my sins, and, and uh, help us just to um, lift you high today. Uh, minister to us, encourage, equip, train, rebuke us, train us in righteousness. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm going to be um, uh, thumbing through a few more Gospels than I normally do today. Uh, we've been walking through the last week of the life of Jesus, and uh, last week we talked about the crucifixion. Uh, today we obviously are talking about what uh, comes next, so I will be walking through uh, multiple of the Gospels. If you don't know what I mean by that, that's okay, you're in the right place. No one expected you to walk in here today a Bible scholar. You might not even be a Christian. You might not even know if God exists. Let me tell you right now, you're welcome in this place, okay? Uh, we don't, ex in fact, we were hoping that you would come because what a place to explore those questions and, and try to get some of those answers. And so that's why I preach straight from the Word of God rather than uh, my, my own opinion um, because that's, that's what we need, and that I, I believe that's, that's what you want to hear today. So the Bible's broken up into um, uh, 66 books. Now, the first 39 of those are the Old Testament, and the last 27 are the New Testament. The Old Testament uh, tells the story of God creating the world, choosing a people, promising that one day he would bring a Messiah, a Savior. When he comes, and we call him Jesus, okay? Uh, in Hebrew, his name was Yeshua. Uh, we call him, in English, Jesus, Long story how we get there, but uh, when he comes, we believe that is the one. The, that's the Messiah. That's the Savior. That's the one that we were waiting for, okay? And so he comes. He's the king of the Jews. He grafts us in. I say us as in Gentiles, everybody who's not a Jew. 
and, and, and this is his story. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are eyewitness accounts or firsthand surveys of the life of Jesus. And so this is where I get all of my material for the last week of the life of Jesus. Uh, uh, up to two-thirds of some of these four books are about the last week of the life of Jesus, okay? So uh, what, what has happened as of last week is Jesus is crucified. We went through crucifixion and how that works just a little bit. And some of you were like, hey, my kid was in here last week, could have warned me. They needed to know, okay? Uh, but also, I meant to get up and be like, hey, you might want to put your kids in class. And I forgot to do that. So my bad for last week. Hopefully good came out of it. Now, uh, Jesus is crucified on the cross. He says it is finished. As we've talked about for weeks, that is every. Hebrew sacrifice. Every sacrifice that, is, is, uh, that, that the people are told to do to pay for sins or whatever they have to do in the Old Testament, Jesus is going to be every single one of those sacrifices. He's the fulfillment of every part of the old law, and he says it is finished. And so he tells us later he came not to abolish the law, but to, to complete it, to fulfill it, right? And so he fulfills it. He finishes it. And so this is the crux. In fact, uh, we use that term, the crux. That means the height of something. You know what it means? The cross. We literally get that word from Jesus dying on the cross because the cross of Christ is the jugular vein of Christianity. If you do not believe, and I, I'm, I know, I'm not saying this piously at all. I'm, this is more of a factual statement. If you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are by definition not a Christian. Uh, you may believe in God, you may believe in a God, you may be spiritual or religious, but you are not a Christian without the belief uh, that Jesus died on the cross to pay. He was the payment for your sins so that you can be right with God, right? And then resurrects. He's going to come back to life. So Jesus is going to die. He says it is finished. He dies. He literally, physically, bodily dies, okay? Do not confuse this. Let's not get mystical before we have to, because some mystical stuff's going to happen <laughs> here in just a minute. But let's not get there before we have to. He literally dies. Spear through the side, blood and water pour out. The breath leaves his body, and his body is gone. He is dead. Now, when this happens, there is an earthquake. There is something else. We're not exactly sure what it was. Was it an eclipse? Uh, was it just the sun went dark? Was it God covered the earth so we can see? The, we don't know, but everybody couldn't see the sun for a little while. We don't know how that happens, okay? So darkness covers the earth. And then, I told you, stuff is going to get mystical soon enough, okay? You don't have to make stuff up to get a good story in the Bible. Just read it like it is. Uh, and then people start coming out of their graves. We can talk about this all day. I have a lot of theories on this, okay? But people come up out of their graves. We get some sort of like zombie episode that's going on right here. Things get weird, okay? And then uh, three days later, which there's a whole story in that as well, how we, can, how we count these three days. I'm not getting into that today. That is an Easter conversation. Three days later, some women who followed Jesus... And gosh, that's another story. Women who in this day could not have a testimony, could not testify against anyone in court. Their word was not valid, 
But Jesus counts them worthy to be the one. They were the faithful ones who followed, and they will be the ones to see what the whole world has waited for. They'll be the first to know. I'm not even going to go there today. Uh, Three days later, some women go to check on the body of Jesus as he is in a tomb. He is not in a grave in the way that we think of a grave. They're not putting him in a casket and burying him in the ground. He will be in a tomb. He will be wrapped in linen, and he will be placed on a table in the tomb. Now, later, they will come and get his body, and they have this box that they will put his bones in once there's decay for the body. It's a whole process that is completely different of ours. When you read the Bible, you are reading Middle East ancient text, okay? Don't, don't try to throw your Americanism on it. I know that's not a thing, but you know what I'm talking about. Now, uh, they're going to check on the body of Jesus. They have all these spices because of smell. They don't have the same embalming processes. And so uh, they go to check on him, and he is not there. There was a rock that's going to be rolled in front of the door, and the reason is because they had to get back in there to take care of the body later. So they had to make the door accessible, but you don't want wildlife getting in. You don't want robbers getting in. This has to be a significant stone, and so these women go hoping that someone will help them because they know that they cannot themselves move the stone. But when they get there, the stone is moved, and the body of Jesus is gone. This is the jugular vein. This is the crux. This is the part we have to deal with. Jesus is a historical figure. Or I should say he is a historic figure. He lived. We have more proof. We have more evidence that Jesus lived than anyone else in all of antiquity. By any rationality, reasoning that you would throw out Jesus as being a living, breathing human who once walked the earth factually. You would have to throw out everyone else in history because we have more evidence of the life of Jesus than anyone else. The difference is, why did he leave that tomb? And so these women give an account that they show up, the body is gone, and an angel appears to them. Now, in some of the Gospels it says an angel, in some of the Gospels it says a couple angels. Let me rectify that for you. Where there's two, there's one. Okay? If I tell you, hey, I had a conversation uh, with, with John the other day, and then later I say, hey, I was talking to John and, and Jill, and you're like, you liar, you told me you were talking. I was talking to John. I didn't tell you that Jill was there as well. So uh, some say one angel, some say two angels, but they say an angel appeared to them and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen, right? And so Jesus appears to them, and he says, go back and tell the others. And he specifically, this is interesting, he specifically says, go tell them to meet me in Galilee. So this is going to be a place to uh, the north, okay? So they go back and find the tomb empty. What's the problem with that? Well, there's multiple problems with that. And one is this. Jesus had caused quite a stir. The Bible says, in most of your translations, no small stir. In other words, 
People were geeking out about this because he might be the one that they had waited for and their forefathers had waited for. And there's prophecy all the way back to Genesis. Everybody says the first prophecy is in Genesis 3.15. I think we can go even beyond that because Adam is a prophecy of Jesus. I mean, the whole, we've waited so long and so everybody's geeking out, could this be the one? So the Roman government does not want this to be the one. Because the one is going to be the new king, and they don't want to have to, you know, come in and crucify everyone, which they will later. But they guard the tomb. They place soldiers in front of the tomb so that it is heavily guarded. This is interesting, isn't it? Do you understand that? Jesus had disciples who followed him for three years. And they watched as the very one that they follow is going to be crucified. And now they can't even come to minister to his body because there are guards there. And they feel so oppressed on every side. And I think that we could easily make the stretch to say that this was a satanic thing. This was a demonic thing, that they would guard the tomb in such a way. And Satan had a lot of plans to stop Jesus. But do you understand that it was because the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers who do not want him to be the Son of God that it makes his testimony believable that he came out of the grave. Because no rebels are walking up, slapping these guards around, saying, get out the way. No, there was something supernatural that rolls that stone away, and Jesus comes out of that grave. Imagine the predicament of those soldiers. They are in a lose-lose situation as far as they're concerned. Because if we tell the truth, we get killed. <laughs> if we don't tell the truth, I mean, look what just happened. We don't want to be up against that. Quite a predicament that they're in but Jesus comes out of the grave. Now, hold on. You may be in here and you may not believe this part yet. Just, 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 just give me a minute because I understand. It has taken me so long to be able to confidently say that I believe this. So I understand where you're coming from. But once he comes out of the grave, we have some instances. And I think this will minister to you who are believers today. And then we'll talk just a second to those who, who may not be. But Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But these words, the, the, the women are going to go back and talk to the disciples, specifically the 12 that Jesus pulled out to say, follow me. Uh, Luke 24, 11. But these words seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. That's a hard sentence to chew on after you read the scriptures and you see all the miraculous things that Jesus did and he pretty on the nose tells them, I'm going to die and come back. And then he dies and these women are like, he ain't there anymore. And they're like, mm -mm, not buying it, not buying it. I mean, less than a week ago, dude, you literally watched him pull Lazarus out of the grave. And you're not buying it? Isn't that interesting? But by, by the way, this includes, this includes Matthew, who will later write the book of, you scholars, and John, who will later write 
John and 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and Revelation. He will be used later. This includes him too, but these words seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Isn't that interesting? And this is what I want to tell you. You have had moments where you say, yes, I believe. And then you've had moments where you're like, ah, I'm not so sure. And I want you to understand that that is the human experience. And I'm not saying it's great. Just saying you're not alone. Peter, however, hold on, listen to this. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. So does that mean Peter did believe, didn't believe? Did Peter get up and run because he did believe the women? Or did Peter get up and run because he didn't believe them, but he wanted to check? Let me ask you, does it matter? John is going to go with him. Is it because John did believe the women or because John didn't believe the women? Is it because they do want this to be true or because they don't want this to be true? Are they so exhausted right now and they're tired of this and they just want to go back to fishing? Or are they like, yes, it's going down? We don't know. All we know is what we see. I cannot put myself into the Scripture. We only take out what is there. I can't tell you their motives unless it tells me. But Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Church, I don't know why Peter and John run, but Peter and John run. They were in a group of men And probably women, at least women show up later, who had followed Jesus, they had all sort of seen the same things. And only two of them get up and run to the tomb. You will be faced with opportunities to see God move. Some of you may be faced with those opportunities now. And instead of working into your own insecurities, I suggest you run to go check it out. The other ones had seen the same things that Peter and John had seen. And I can't tell you why they didn't run, but I can tell you why I wouldn't have run. Because I don't want to look like a fool. Because I don't want to be let down. Because I don't want to be disappointed. Because I'm still processing this. Because I don't want the government to put me under surveillance. I can tell you a hundred reasons why I would not have run to the tomb. But those would be a hundred reasons why I didn't get to see the linen cloths still sitting on the table and Jesus having gone. If God provides you with an opportunity, might I suggest run to it? I can tell you in my own life that I can give you a highlight reel of when I, when I got to see God 
really move. Not, oh, I was having a bad day and I looked up and there was a cloud in the shape of a cross. I'm telling you times that I have seen God move miraculously. And I'm not saying that God didn't give you that cloud. I'm just saying to an atheist, don't even go there. Maybe that was something for you, but I'm just telling you, just keep that story to yourself. I want to see something that God has done, and I can tell you things that happen, but I can tell you every time that that has happened in my life is because I was running to the tomb. My wife and I can tell you stories about uh, when we saw God miraculously move during an adoption, when we saw God miraculously move on behalf of people, when we saw God miraculously move in planning a church. And I can tell you that every one of those experiences, we had done something scary and uncomfortable. Look through the Bible. You don't, you don't see a whole lot of miraculous things happen where someone wasn't running to the tomb. There are some. Paul, if you know anything about the Bible, Paul, he's going to write 13 books of the Bible. He was on his way to murder Christians, and, and God appeared to him. Okay, so yeah, maybe, maybe not him. I'm not saying that this is the only way that it can happen. I'm just telling you, if you don't run to the tomb, you won't see it. See what? I don't know. Dude, that's your tomb to run to. You've got to run in faith to chances to experience God. We have this idea that we will pray and say, God, you do something cool, you perform a party trick, and then I will run to you. And our Father says, you run to me, and I will give you provision. And we want miraculous provision, but this is an interesting thing about provision. You cannot provide for something that isn't needed. That's not provision. So until you step into something that's a little bigger than you, you don't need provided for as long as it's something that we can do, as long as it's something that I can do on my own power, own authority, and I got the money myself to do it, I don't need God. Therefore, I don't need any provision. Run to the tomb. Because if you don't, you're going to miss what God has for you. Do you think they knew what they would find when they got there? Isn't that interesting? I don't, think, I don't think in reading this that they're 100% certain because it says, it says, so he went away amazed at what had happened. It didn't say he showed up amazed at what had happened. It said he went away amazed at what was happening. He still didn't know what he was going to find when he showed up. And he walked away amazed. See, he ran even though he didn't understand everything, and I need you to hear me. I need everybody to look at me right now. I didn't bring anything on stage today. There wasn't really anything appropriate. I like to show you guys what I'm talking about, but, but, but I, just, I, did, I need you to use your, use your imaginations today. I, I need you to see this part. They ran even though they didn't understand everything. I'm not asking you to be irrational. I'm not asking you to make dumb decisions. I'm not asking you to even move on a whim. I want you to be secure in what God has asked you to do. I've told you all this a hundred times. God, give me prayer, the word, fellow believers, and circumstances all lining up together. Not one, but all four. I want you to make smart decisions. But when the Holy Spirit says go, 
go, but I don't understand everything. <laughs> you think you're going to? Do you think you're going to get to go to heaven one day and go, I, mean, I didn't learn anything here. I, figured, I had all this figured out. How arrogant is that? You will not know everything on this side of heaven. You will not know everything on this side of your task. You won't know everything on the other side of your task. If that's what you're waiting for, <laughs> man, it's not going to work. You're not going to understand everything. Some of you won't even minister to everyone because I am so scared. Somebody will ask me a question that I don't know. My gosh. Then never talk to anyone ever. Because I promise you, you don't know most things. Man, I've been studying the Bible. I've read the Bible just almost every day of my life since, I don't know, 18? I find new stuff all the time. I'm not there. Wherever there is, I'm not there. I don't know it all. You guys teach me stuff all the time. You're never going to understand everything but get up and run to your task. You want to see God move? Step out in faith. I know you want it to go the other way around, but God has not signed that contract. <laughs> you might have submitted that offer, uh, but it was counter-offered with the original asking price. Some of you are trying to buy a house, and you're like, this got deeply personal. Luke 24, 13 through 17. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, Two of them? Whoa, we're, we're on to some disciples now. This is post-resurrection. Two people who used to follow Jesus. This is not any of the 12 disciples. This is others. Remember, there are a whole lot more than the 12. The 12 are just who he picked out to follow him every day, okay? Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. So they're just walking. They're starting this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They had been following Jesus. Jesus has died. Earlier that day, some women, it says, had told them that the tomb is empty, and now they're discussing it as they walk. A stranger shows up. And he says, what are you talking about? And, and it says that they stopped and looked discouraged. You know how they look discouraged? Yeah, me neither. It could, be a, it could be a number of things. Because they're going to kind of scold this stranger. They, they basically are like, are you the only one who hadn't been reading the news? Have you not been on Facebook today? Have you not seen the buzz that's going on in the city? Did you not know? And so maybe they're discouraged because of that. But also, how could you possibly be discouraged when the one that you followed for years is supposed to be resurrected. Now I'm going to tell you why, at least in part, 
they're discouraged, and I'm getting it all from Scripture, because they didn't understand everything that had happened yet. And this was Jesus, but Jesus, had, again, I told you, the stuff gets a little bit mystical after Jesus resurrects. Now, he full body comes back. I'll get to that in just a moment. But it is his body, it is him that comes back. Remember, your spirit is going to live on. We live in eternal death or eternal life, but it's eternal either way. Our spirit lives on. So the resurrection of Jesus means that his body has to resurrect, okay? So he is resurrected, but he keeps them supernaturally from recognizing them. And then for the seven miles, he's going to give them a Bible study about how Jesus fulfilled everything. It said, starting with Moses and the prophets, he went all the way through. I would love, I would love to get to make that journey and just do a little seven-mile Bible study with Jesus. Granted, he was probably talking in Aramaic, but I would learn it just for that one Bible study. And he explains to them everything that happened. And the men said later that their hearts were burning inside of them. And then later he kind of lifts the supernatural veil and they're like, <gasps> and they see Jesus. But before this, They're discouraged. On the day you get the news that what you thought was maybe going to happen, happened, you're discouraged? Why? Because they don't understand everything yet. Why are they going to Emmaus? We have no idea. But we know that after they get there, they run back to Jerusalem and talk to everybody. That's how we have the story. Hold on to that. Let's do one more. John 20, 24. But Thomas called the twin. One of the 12. This is one of the 12 disciples. His name is Thomas. Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas is one of the 12. He walked with Jesus for about three years. He saw Jesus do lots of cool stuff. He saw more than we even have documented in the Bible. He knows it better than you know it. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. How? You got to, you got to, When Jesus healed lame people, blind people, there was no welfare system. They were begging for charity on the street. You would pass them daily for years. And Thomas got to see them get up and walk. He got to see them see. He was there when Lazarus was called out of the grave. He was there when water, hand-washing water, was turned into really good wine. He was there for all of it. How, Thomas? And this is why you all know him not as Thomas, but Doubting Thomas. Man, I'm going to tell you, Thomas is a good dude. He's going to go on later, and uh, he's going to go to India. They say there's actually a place in eastern India, Kerala, they call it God's country, and they say Thomas dips his hand in the water and throws it up and bless the land, and the, the divot where he dipped the water out of the well, or, you know, not well, but kind of a trough, actually stayed in there like the water didn't seek its level. And people were amazed, and he traveled all over India. I've actually been in India to the hill where he was stabbed by a spear uh, from a Hindu. 
traveled all over preaching the gospel. This is a good dude. But look at him. He's like, I don't believe it based on anything that I've seen. I don't believe it based on your testimony. Until he shows up and I can put my finger in the nail holes, I'll never believe. Crazy. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> uh, peace be with you. Whoa! <laughs> I didn't feel peaceful. I saw you die, and I did not see you open the door. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas will go on to die for his faith, as will the rest, minus John, who's boiled alive. So he didn't exactly get out. He just lived through it. What's the point? I want you to get a couple things from this. Here's one. There are principles that the Bible teaches that is for everyone. Sin is sin for everyone. Righteous behavior is righteous behavior for everyone. There are principles that the Bible preaches that are for everyone, but there are experiences that are just for you. Jesus didn't show up to everybody else and say, fill the holes in my hands. He came to help his friend Thomas out. And he will come to help you out. Thomas was in a bind Thomas needed the help. These guys on the road to Emmaus, they weren't doing so hot. He came to help his friends out. He gave them a little Bible study to open their eyes. He didn't do it for everybody else. He did it just for them. We have all the law, we have all the prophets, we have all these things to teach us what sin is, to teach us why Jesus came, and all these things. But we don't all have your experience. That is unique to you because the Father gives you that for you. So there are principles for everyone, but there are experiences for each one. The cross is for everyone all of these that we just talked about, the cross was for each of them. The cross is for everyone, but the visit was unique. This is why you do not need to, the way that you came to faith, the way that you came to Jesus, stop trying to recreate that in someone else. Just because someone doesn't come to Jesus the same way that you did uh, doesn't mean that they're wrong. Now, salvation is the same for everyone. Salvation is the same for everyone. It is through faith in Christ. That changes for no one. But it was different things that drew, drew, that's a new one, that drove every one of us to salvation. And the Father did that for you. It is unique to you. It was special for you. It was a visit just for you. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. Church, Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. There are things that we do that get in the way of our personal relationship with Jesus. I am on this journey in my life right now, and maybe, maybe some of you are there. And in the weeks to come, you will, I, will, I will try my best to help you uh, take this journey with me. But I am saying, God, what can I remove to get closer to you? 
What is distracting me from you? Let it be gone because I desire you above all else. Because I know that the Father wants a personal relationship with me. And everything that he has for me, I want it. I want it for you. Look at all of these that he visits. He visited Thomas in just the way Thomas needed. The guys on their way to Emmaus in just the way that they needed. John and Peter, everyone, he visits them just in the way that they need it, and he will visit you just in the way that you need it. He will make provisions for you for what he has for you. But you have to run to the tomb. You have to show up to the meetings. You have to walk with Jesus. You have to be in that upper room with the disciples. You have to be there. You've got to run to the tomb, and the Father will meet with you. couple quick stories, and I'm going to be real fast. John 21, verse 4 through 6. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Why did Jesus do this? Because he was showing off? Because he wanted them to see that he was still powerful, that he's in control? Maybe he's just, this is post-resurrection. The disciples are out fishing. They don't know what to do. Jesus told, uh, uh, the angel told the, the women at the tomb, tell them to meet me in Galilee. Now they're in Galilee. They don't see Jesus in anywhere. They don't know what to do. So they just go out and go fishing. It's dust. It's daybreak. They can't really see this figure. Okay, we don't know if Jesus has like disguised himself like he did on the road to Emmaus or if it's just too dark to see, but they don't know who it is. And he's like, hey, y'all catching any fish? Not unlike we do. And they think, oh, this guy's just trying to come steal our spot if we're catching fish. Because quite frankly, if I ask you ever if you're catching fish, that's what I'm getting at. Where are you fishing? Because I want to go there. I digress. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And then they bring in such a haul that they can't believe it. One of the miraculous things in this is that it didn't begin to break the net. And they're like, oh, it's Jesus. And that's a really cool story until, until you go back and, and, and realize where they first met. When did they first met? Meet. When did they first meet? Fishing. And Jesus walked out and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he tells them, meet me in Galilee. Why? Because I got a little something for them. I'm going to show them. Get over your insecurities. It's not about you. You're not that good a fisherman. I'll show you. And so he gives them this fishing analogy. Why? He's basically playing their song. He's bringing up old times. They knew exactly what it meant. I'll show you how to be fishers of men. And he came back going, I'm not done with you. This party's just getting started, boys. John 21, 15 through 19. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, okay, still with him now. He's going to ask Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, hang with me here because this gets just almost annoying for a second. I, I don't want to be irreverent when I say that, but like it kind of brings you angst reading this. Um, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved 
that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Man, why would Jesus do that? Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why would he do this three times? Why would he repeat it? Okay, do you remember just a few nights ago when Jesus was being crucified? And Peter walks up, and three times they said, aren't you with Jesus? And he denies it. So why would Jesus ask him three times, do you love me? Because he knows that Peter's beating himself up. And he's going to give Peter a shot at redemption. So that Peter can get over his insecurities long enough to go and preach. And he will. And thousands will be saved. And he won't deny Jesus again. So much so that he will actually be crucified in the way that Jesus is. Early church uh, fathers tell us. Now we have no other historical information for this. But early church fathers uh, said like 300 years after he died. So is it true? I don't know. But this is what they said. They said that Jesus actually, uh, Peter actually approached the cross and said, I am not worthy to die like my Savior and was actually crucified hanging upside down because he would not die in the same way that his Savior died. See, Peter was given a shot at redemption. Why did Jesus come and ask him these questions three times? Because he knew Peter denied him three times and he gave him a chance. Jesus knows what you've done. Listen, look, he knows when you've said, until I touch the nail holes in his hands, I won't believe. He knows when you denied him in his very time of need, and he forgave Thomas, he forgave Peter, and then he reached out to him and put him to work. And men that had said, we don't know what to do anymore, we're just going to go fishing, he came and spoke to them in their language and said, we're not done, let's go fishing. The resurrection is what Christianity is absolutely based on. Worship team, go ahead and come up. Jesus died, he fulfilled the law, he rose again, and if that weren't enough, he comes to meet you where you are. On the boat, in the middle of denying him, where you are, he comes for you. The principles are the same for everyone. Salvation changes for no one. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man will come to the Father except through me. That is a principle that is true for everyone. But he has done something in your life to bring you to the point where you are. His love for you was very personal. And my fear is if you don't get up and run to the tomb, you're going to miss what he has for you. It's so much easier. If you're in college, dude, it is so much easier to go with the flow. If you're in a family who's not serving, it is so much easier to go with the flow. It's so much easier to stay in the room. We can still say that we followed him. We can still say that we're Christians. We can still have a nice little tidy look to our life. But if you don't get up and run to the tomb, if you don't get up and run when you feel that Jesus is calling you, you're going to miss the good things that he has in store for you. So here's the other thing I wanted you to see. 
you're not crazy if you've ran from God. You're human. You're not alone if you've been disobedient, if you've rejected him, if you've denied him, if you have doubted him. None of those things make you unusable. None of those things are unforgivable. What those things are is baggage that will keep you from running to the tomb and finding what God has for you to do. I hope that you have stories that will top mine. And, and I truly do. I hope that you will plant a church. I hope that you will minister to people and that when we get to heaven, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you ran to the tomb. Because you have people who said, without this girl, without this guy, I don't know where I would be. They just came out of nowhere, didn't see it. The Father will use you. But let me ask you, What is your meet with Jesus plan? I want you to be so full of the Holy Spirit that you are led daily. But you got to run to the tomb. There's not a literal physical tomb that you're running to, though. How do you, mind, heart, run to the tomb? I'm glad you asked. Because I have four things that I want you to do. Man, y'all hate me. Read your Bible. Pray. Go to church. And be the church. What are you asking God for every day? See, this is something I'm trying to change in my life. There's some things that I don't like about me that I'm trying to change. And I've tried to change them for a long time. Then I realize, you know, I'm not asking for this. I've got to start asking for this. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to meet with you every day? And making a window? Making time for that? Dude, I'm a pastor with four kids. Don't even start whining to me about time. Mm -mm. Single moms are looking at me, and I'm, I'm looking back at you like, I forgot about you, okay? No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. We all have it. We all have the ability to make space to meet with God, to run to the tomb every day. Because if you don't run to the tomb, you're not going to see the cool stuff that God has for you. Run to your word. Run to your time in prayer. Be asking the Holy Spirit for things every day. God says that he is faithful and just to forgive all who confess their sins, right? He says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not place you under more than you can bear. And, and when you are under more than you can bear, he will provide a way out, a way through it. You have to take it. You have to take it. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your provisions. Thank, that, thank you that you have provided a way out. God, I pray uh, that, that we will have that run to the tomb moment, Lord, uh, at, at least once. But God, ultimately, I'm looking for daily, daily, Lord. Holy Spirit, we want you to, to be with us better is one day in the, in, in, in the house of the Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. And so, Father, I pray that we would just set anything aside that would keep us from you and begin to meet with you daily. We want to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. God, we don't like the things of the world. 
and what they do to us. I pray that you will make it a terrible taste. Please speak to us. Please show us. Please use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Baskets are going to come forward. Guys, go ahead and do that. Uh, baskets are going to come forward. Part of the way that we worship is with tithe and offering. Uh, but also, you have a connection card. Uh, we want you to do that. All, you, you have stuff all over your seats. I would love for you to get involved in a life group. Really, you need to. Raheem was spot on. Spot on. God called us to walk with people. You need this in your life more than you know. Uh, so I really encourage you to get involved in a life group. Uh, but as we are... As we are worshiping to close the service, I want you to ask yourself a question and hopefully you answer it by the time you leave. What is my meet with Jesus plan this week? All I'm asking you is for one week. What is your meet with Jesus plan this week? Please don't walk out of this building without that plan today. Please stand and worship with us.